last week I think we had 45 or 46 um, go upstairs. And this week they, I want to say they catch a little bit of a break because there's not as many here, but I think they love being overran with kids upstairs. Uh, but as they're, <laughs> now they're all gone. I would do a commercial for them too. Those ladies need help. We only have three or four that actually uh, serve every week. And uh, it's tiring. It's tough. It's hard to prepare. And then amongst all the other stuff, they're just like the rest of us. They have uh, lives to lead and other things, other ministries they do in the church. Uh, so if you're half crazy, we'd love to have you come and help us in worship kid style. Uh, any opportunity that you get, just see Ashante or Leanne or Darlene or Joe Collins, somebody. We'd love to have you help. So, as we begin uh, our look into the life of Joseph, as we began our look into the life of Joseph in Scripture, um, and now it's been two or three weeks, and I'm sure another week or maybe even two uh, before we close out uh, this this lessons, these, this series in beginnings in the book of Genesis. Uh, but as we began that, uh, we remember back, uh, Joseph was only 17 years old in chapter 37. He was young. Right uh, In our society, he wouldn't be able to vote yet, but he was a young man right at 17 years old, and that was in chapter 37. And we were told that Joseph was the favorite of all of Jacob's, his dad's sons, because he was the son of Jacob's old age. That's what Scripture says. And Jacob had made him a coat, if you remember, of many colors, and so Joseph was easily identified amongst all the boys. You could spot Joseph easily. He was the guy that had the coat of many colors. And we were also told that Joseph was a dreamer and Joseph had a particular dream and he explained it to his family and boom that's where his trouble actually started he told them the dream that he had he this is the dream I had and boom that's when his trouble started what he said was one day you guys are going to bow down before me now remember he's the youngest right of these Jewish boys and there's a bunch of them and he's telling all of them you're going to bow down before me so how many times from chapter 37 to 42 that we're going to be in this morning, how many times do you reckon Joseph said, man, I wish I hadn't said that? You know, I wish I could take that back. And how many times have we said something we're like, ooh, and you can't swallow it back down, you can't choke it back. I'm sure that Joseph said many times, I wish I'd have just kept that to myself. Now last week, uh, Pastor Chuck showed us how all along, all through Joseph's troubles in his life, and he had a lot of trouble, um, that God was working in and around Joseph and his life. He was the youngest of a large herd of boys. There's 12 of them, right? He's the youngest one. Disliked because he was dad's favorite. Even more disliked because he pridefully, and I think that was Joseph's sin, uh, was Joseph was proud. I do believe that about Joseph. And he pridefully uh, told his brothers they would one day bow down before him. And not just them, but he also told them, uh, that he, Joseph, would be the man in charge of everything around him. It wouldn't just be them, that he was going to be in charge. That was the dream that he had had. That's in chapter 37, verse 9. Joseph was disliked so much that his kinfolk decided they wanted to kill him. Now, I hope you've never been that mad at somebody in your family, but that's where they were at. They were so mad at him, they wanted to kill him. Um, but God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And they decided not to kill him. They sold him into slavery to the caravan of flea marketers that were heading down to Egypt to sell all their goods, right? Um, and so he ends up in Egypt, but he ends up with a good position in Egypt um, as he becomes the head of the household where he's at. And then he gets lied on by a not-so-nice woman and ends up in jail. So he's already been sold into slavery, and now he's in jail. And then two, year, two, more year, two years go by, 
and he has a good position in the jail after two years, and he's finally given a chance to get out because God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph, and he had given him interpretations of a man's dream who was also put in jail. And he interpreted this dream, and sure enough, it came true. And that man got out of jail, and two years later, after, if you remember last week, Pastor Chuck said, the one, don't, Joseph only had one favor to ask of the guy was, remember me. You know, when you get out of jail, remember me. Well, he didn't. And then two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And this guy who worked for Pharaoh is like, remember, then he remembered, Joseph. He said, there was a guy that I was in jail with, and he interpreted my dream, and it came true. And so, Pharaoh sends for him. God was with Joseph. Now, remember um, from last week when Pastor Chuck's message, remember what Joseph said when Pharaoh questioned him about his ability to interpret dreams? In, in verse 16 of chapter 41, Joseph, said, Joseph says, it's not in me. It's God. I can't do this, but God can. He tells Pharaoh what his dreams meant. And so Pharaoh, if you remember, he said, who, who in all the land has the Spirit of God on him like this guy? right?" And so he puts Joseph in charge of the whole Egyptian operation. He's in, he only answers to Pharaoh. He is second in command. So he's went from being the youngest of brothers out there uh, tending to the flock to sold into slavery to put in jail and now he's second in charge of, of Egypt. Nobody's higher than him than Pharaoh. Now we think about that for a moment. Despite all the bad things that had happened, God has extended grace to Joseph. And as Chuck told us last week, all along, despite all these things that happened to Joseph, God was working in Joseph's life the whole entire time. God was working along for a purpose. God had Joseph right where he wanted him. Right where he intended all along for him to be, that's where Joseph was. And God, unlike us, doesn't waste time. When God is working, and he's always working, it is purposeful. God always has a purpose to what he does. And most of the time, we don't recognize God working in our lives until well after the fact of whatever it was. A lot of times, that's the way it is for me, too. Uh, you'll be in a situation, or something is going on, and God is working in our lives, but we don't realize it until after the fact. Well, I'm sure that Joseph didn't realize there was many a night, no doubt. Think about it. God, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why me? How many times he could have said that? The whole time God was working in Joseph and on, in Joseph's life. Most time we don't recognize it until well after the fact. So the title for this morning would be, if I, if I had a title for this, it would be Crossroads. Because that's where Joseph is at at this time in his life. He's at a crossroads. God's been working all along, and now he has Joseph right where he wants him. Joseph is like, and I stole this uh, illustration from Chuck for the 830 service, so I'll share it with you too. How many of you guys have ever been to a true Italian pizzeria? I mean where Fat Tony is the guy making the pizzas, and Slim Malone is the one taking your money, and they only have a couple of things on the item, uh, on the menu, but it's the best you've ever ate. A real Italian place. Well, those type places, the best part of that pizza is the dough. The dough is the part of the pizza that gets mixed, it gets beat up, it gets worked over, and then it gets thrown on a slab, more stuff put on it, and then it gets rolled out. You know, the dough gets beat up for a long time, and most of the time while the dough's being beat up, 
all of us are thinking about all of the good stuff about the pizza, the sausage, the sauce, the pepperoni, you know, all the toppings that go on it. But the truth is, all of the good parts of the pizza ain't nothing without the crust. The crust is the important part. And until the crust is ready, until the dough is ready, all the good stuff is just sitting there in the pans waiting. That's a good pizza. In our lives, that's the way it is. Um, in our lives, most of us, we want to see the goodness of God. We want to see the power of God. We want to see the kindness of God. And when it doesn't happen in the time or the way that we think it should, we question God. We wonder why it's going on this way. We want to see His goodness and the blessings that He has, and why is it not happening in the way that we think it should. But God is telling us that our dough's not ready yet, right? We're not ready for the toppings yet. Our dough's not ready. At this point, Joseph, after everything that has happened, is now ready. He's done. He's ready. He's in the spot that God wants him. And he finds himself at a crossroads where the grace of God, despite everything that's bad that has happened in his life, the grace of God is upon him, and he recognizes that. He's at that crossroad where God's grace and mercy that he is either going, he's going to have to decide to extend or to not extend towards people who we know do not deserve it, he's going to have to make that choice. The crossroads of grace and mercy is where he's at, and he has to make that choice. Grace and mercy are having a meeting in Egypt. Now, seven years after uh, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, sure enough, Famine came to all the known world, including where Jacob and his boys live in Canaan. It actually came, the famine came, seven years later. And that's where we find ourselves at this morning. So if you would, turn your Bible on or open it up to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read 1 through 5 to get us started. Genesis chapter 42, and I'm reading from the ESV. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, can you just picture what we just read there in verse 1? Have you ever been on a job site or at a job, and this same thing happens, or something needs to be done, and there's eight guys or eight ladies standing around, and everybody's waiting on somebody else to do it? That must be what's going on here, because finally Jacob takes dad charge and says, what are you guys looking around at? Let's go. Let's get to work. Right? Uh, Jacob's like, let's get moving here. And he gives them all the job to do, except Benjamin, the youngest. And so what a great picture we have of dad here. You guys that are in the room that are dads, you'll, you'll see this. What a great dad picture we have. Jacob takes charge and tells them to all man up and go take care of their families. Because at this point in their lives, all these guys are married and have kids. He says, man up and go and do this. Serve your families. But Jacob has also experienced great loss in his life. Joseph, he thinks Joseph's dead. He's experienced great loss in his life, and he doesn't send the boy, the baby of the clan, because um, he don't want to lose him too. So the sons of Israel 
are headed straight towards that crossroads that Joseph is at down in Egypt. Starting in verse 6, it says this. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies, and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. So in verses 6 through 12, Joseph is large and in charge. Joseph's the man. He's the guy that everybody except for Pharaoh answers to. And as was the proper custom, when these guys came before, when his brothers came before him, they didn't know who he was, but he knew who they was, but they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Uh, in verse 7, it said that Joseph recognized him, but they didn't him. So we're talking about the intersection of grace and mercy, but actually right now, we haven't got to that intersection yet. And Joseph is in that big curve in the road before it straightens out and the intersection comes up. And in this curve, uh, before the intersection of grace and mercy, we could call this curve the curve of doubt or the curve of suspicion. Even the curve of hatred, anger, and contempt. But I think this particular curve, uh, it's most likely doubt about these guys' intentions. Because we have to remember the last time Joseph saw them. And now, all of a sudden, here they are. He was, in the, he was in the curve of doubt. What were these guys' intentions? But right in the middle of this curve, God gives yet a little bit more grace uh, to Joseph when Joseph remembers the dream. That's what the scripture we just read said. Joseph remembered the dream that had caused him all the trouble all those years before to begin with. When he told them, one day you guys will bow down before me. And here it is. That day has came. All those years before, the day would come as God had showed him all those years ago, and it did. But everybody, Joseph and his brothers, are still in the curve. The road hadn't straightened out yet. You are spies is what he tells them. You're spies, and you're searching for our weaknesses. What, what he's saying here is you're looking for a way in, a way to, to disservice the government, and you want what we got. That's really what he's saying. You're here to look for our weaknesses. Um, the brothers reply in verse 11 is surely unexpected by Joseph and that they tell him they're honest men. Now, he remembers the last time he saw them how honest they were. They threw him in a pit. First they wanted to kill him. Then they drag him out. And then they sell him into slavery and fake his death because they took his coat, remember, and dipped it in the animal's blood and took it back to dad so the dad was thinking he was dead. They were not honest men the last time he had seen them, okay? So surely it's unexpected by Joseph that they would say that to him. Uh, but they do tell the truth in that they are all brothers of one man. He knew that. And that they have never been spies. They had never been spies before. He knew that. But Joseph is still in the curve of doubt and suspicion. And in verse 12, Joseph says, nope, you're spies. You're spies. So we have to think about that. How about in this curve of doubt and suspicion, even hatred and anger, how about you and I? 
Has somebody ever done you wrong? Yeah. All of us. We've all been done that way. Somebody has done us wrong. When somebody does you wrong, how long does it take? Uh, how long does it take? How long for trust to be built back up? How long does it take for doubt and suspicion, even hatred and anger, uh, to be built back up when somebody does you wrong? How long does it take before you get in that straight stretch of compassion? After that curve of doubt, suspicion, hatred, anger, whatever it looks like. But that's where they're at. And they're getting ready to come out of that curve of doubt and suspicion, Joseph and the guys. And they're getting ready to come into that straight stretch of compassion before they get to the intersection. Verse 25 says this. And Joseph, um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm starting in verse 25. Nope, I've lost, I've moved away. I don't want to skip that part. Verse 13 says this. And they said, we your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, whether there is truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. And that's important. If you're honest men... Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. They did so and they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. Reuben was the oldest. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Remember, they thought they were talking to an Egyptian. They didn't recognize Joseph. They didn't know that Joseph understood him because there was an interpreter there. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So it appears in these verses, in this scripture, uh, that Joseph's being kind of tough on his brothers, right? But we must remember first what they had done to him all those years ago. All, all, that, all those years ago. And they tell him in verse 13 that there's yet another brother. Now Joseph knows he's got a younger brother. They tell him that. Benjamin. And they admit to Joseph that they had another brother also. They didn't know that they was talking to the guy they're talking about. He is no more. But before we think bad of Joseph for getting on to these guys, surely he wondered, because the last time he'd saw him, he remembered what, what was going on. Surely he wondered whether this argument, whether this youngest brother that they'd spoken of was really back home, or had he met the same fate that he had met? That he was, was he dealt the same fate? all those years ago so what Joseph is is guarded 
He's still in that intersection of curve and uh, of doubt and susp- uh, the curve of doubt and suspicion, and he's guarded. So he puts his brothers to the test, demanding that the younger brother be brought there, but first taking them all into custody for three days. That's a good picture for us. But don't you love verse eighteen when Joseph tells him, "If you do this, this is how you can live." That's what he says. You do this, this is how you can live. And then he tells them that he fears God. Now, we need to recognize that. They think they're talking to an Egyptian. Pharaohs in Egypt were considered gods. That's who was they demanded to be worshipped. That's who pharaohs were. And this guy is not pharaoh, but he's next in line, right? And he's telling them, I fear God. Now, you would think uh, that a light would come on, the, on these brothers' thick heads, you know, when he says that because it's not something an Egyptian would say but it doesn't now the use of the word fear here when Joseph says he fear God the use of the word in the original language is actually uh, accusatory in other words what he's saying to him is I fear God how about you do you really fear God he knew that they were Jewish he said I fear God but how about you Do you really fear God? That's the way he said it toward them. And so he gets to the point and challenges their honesty. One is to stay there and the others are to go get the younger brother. And the words resonate in the hearts of the brothers. And we know that. Because for the first time they admit, while talking amongst themselves, that they're guilty concerning Joseph. It's the first time in Scripture we have it recorded where they admit what they've done. They confess. And this stirs uh, Joseph's emotions completely. It said he turned away from them and cried. When they admitted what they'd done, he turned away from them and cried. How great it is when we confess our wrongdoings. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Freedom comes from confessing and facing what we've done that we shouldn't have done. Or what we haven't done that we should have done. There is so much freedom in confessing our wrongdoings. And that's what happens here. Freedom comes after confessing and facing what we've done or, or haven't done. And this confession, confession takes these guys uh, from the curves of doubt and suspicion and brings them straight into the straight stretch of compassion. They're finally out of the curve. And they're heading right into the intersection of grace and mercy. Verse 25 says this, And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of a sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. 
Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. So Joseph's orders were to load their packs with food, give them provisions for their travel, and at no cost. It didn't cost him a penny. He ordered his guys to put all their money back in their sacks. So it was done at no cost. He ordered their money put back in their packs. This scared the brothers and brought Dad Jacob to complete anguish when they told him the story of everything that happened. So at this point, Jacob feels hopeless. At this point, Jacob feels hopeless. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want me to give Benjamin up also? What have you guys done to me? And what are you doing to me right now? What Jacob and his boys didn't recognize or know was that this guy, this lord of the land that they were talking about back in Egypt, was Joseph. They were at the mercy of Joseph. And Joseph knew that God was with him all along. Joseph knew that God was with him all along. All along that tough road that he'd been on. And that God had got Joseph to the point where he was able to help and to save. Jacob is desperate. So finally he tells his sons in verse 38 uh, that they're sending him to his grave. If what he fears, what he believes is going to happen, happens. They're going to send him to his grave. Because the loss will become too great. Have you ever been in that kind of place? We, all, we have. Have you ever been in that kind of place? Everything seems hopeless. Hopelessly lost. Helplessly messed up. A train wreck that does not end. Back against the wall. We've all felt that way in one way or another. In one fashion or another, we've all felt that way. In chapter 43, Jacob, dad, Israel, finally realizes that he has no choice but to send Benjamin with his other boys. And he tells them to take gifts to the man down in Egypt, hoping for favor from the man. But not just that, but most importantly, in chapter 43, verse 14, Jacob, Israel, says this to his sons. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send you back to your, uh, back, may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. That's what he says. So Jacob knows that it's God who's actually in charge. It ain't the man down in the land of Egypt. It's God. And Jacob recognizes that. And he says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. It is the mercy of God before the man Joseph that controls the outcome. It ain't Joseph. God is in control, and he recognized, Jacob recognized that. So how about you and I today? We're, we got our back against the wall. We're, we're, we feel hopeless. We feel helplessly lost, whatever it is. Um, or we've been horribly wronged, grievously wronged. And maybe you're on that curve on the road of anger and hatred or suspicion and doubt. For me, when I see this, I have to ask myself, just like Joseph, do I believe that God has been with me my whole life? 
Do I really believe that God has been with me my whole life? Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Has he got me to the point this morning, this day, has he got me to that point? Has God shown me grace by not giving me what I deserved? And what I deserve is to be forever separated from his holiness because of my sinfulness. And you too. Be like Joseph. We'll talk tough to each other. That's what I deserve and that's what you deserve. But instead, has God shown and given freely to me mercy by giving me what I don't deserve? Which is the possibility of being reconciled to him. Has he gave me that possibility? Yes. Has he gave you that possibility? Yes. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he sent his only son to earth to live a sinless life and die on a tree in my behalf and on your behalf. The question we have to ask is, do I really believe that? Do I believe that for Tim? Yes, I do. Do I believe that for Bobby? Yes, I do. Do I believe that for all of us? Yes, I do. And so if I do believe that, how can I drive my life right through that intersection of grace and mercy, and God has extended that to me, how can I go through that intersection without wanting to take somebody else with me? Or at least tell somebody else about that intersection. How can we do that? And if we're not willing to do that, what does it really say? If I'm not willing to do that, what does it really say about how I feel about God? Not about how I feel about the person across the street or the person that I'm mad at or that I suspect or that I have my doubts about, but how do I actually feel about God? If I'm not willing to do that, how do I feel about God? Today we have a choice to make just like Joseph did. And over the next week or so, I'm sure that we will see that God had bigger blessings and even greater grace and mercy than any of these guys, including Jacob and Joseph, imagine. God's grace is bigger. God's grace is bigger. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. In our lives, the intersection of grace and mercy is only found at one place. And that is right squarely at the foot of the cross. Grace and mercy meet at the foot of the cross. Squarely, right there, at the cross of Calvary. And we're all there this morning. Like it or not, on the road of life, that's where we find ourselves at this morning. We've came out of the curve, down the straight stretch, and we're at the intersection of grace and mercy. We're all there this morning. The question for us is, what route are we going to take now? Where are we going to go? Joseph in Scripture, in, in Old Testament Scripture, Joseph, I believe, is the best picture that we have of Jesus Christ. He's the best picture. Now, we know Joseph was not sinless, and I do believe his sin was pride. But he's one of the best, if not the best, picture that we have of, of Christ. Joseph, at one point later, tells his brothers that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. You'll hear that again. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. That many be people would be kept alive. Many people would be saved. And Christ came. And all the evil that the Pharisees, and all the evil that the Sadducees, and all the evil that the scribes, and all the evil that the Romans intended for Christ, and all the sins and evil that we ever intended for Christ, do not stand up against the good that God meant by sending Jesus. None of our sins, none of their sins, nobody's sins stand up against the good that God meant. Salvation has come and is found in the exact center of the intersection of grace and mercy. The question for us is, do you really believe that? 
Do you really believe that's true? And if you do, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with that? Joseph had a choice to make, and we do too. And I'll close with this. I want to share. So Pastor Chuck had the flu, and I think it was about two days ago. He messaged me, and he's like, I'm feeling better, but I don't know um, if I'll be in my right mind or not come Sunday. Would you care to go ahead and take this Sunday? I was going to take next Sunday. And I've seen Chuck not in his right mind. It's a scary thing, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, but I was like, absolutely. So uh, in, in studying this out over the last couple of days, I came across this actually last night. I, I had the, the message prepared and I had it done. But I came across this, and this guy in just two paragraphs says uh, everything that I've been trying to say for the last 35 minutes a lot better than I did. But this guy's name was John Christostom. And he was born in Antioch, in what is today Turkey. And he was the Archbishop of Constantinople. And he wrote this. He's a 5th century guy. He, I think he wrote this in 378 A.D. So about, say, 350 years after Christ died and ascended back to heaven. But this is what John wrote. What then are God's good deeds? He created us from nothing. He made the whole visible world for us the heaven, the sea, the earth, animals, plants, and seeds, I must be brief because of the infinite number of his works. And to us alone, and to us alone of all that are on the earth, he breathed a living soul. <clears throat> he planted a garden for us. He gave us a helpmate and set us over all the brute species and crowned us with glory and honor. And yet, after all this, when humanity turned out ungrateful towards, toward its benefactor, he thought us worthy of an even greater gift, forgiveness. Despite the way that you and I are, despite the way that was, church is only 300 years old. Despite everything he's done for us, on top of everything he's done for us, he decides to give us one more gift, and that's forgiveness, the opportunity of forgiveness. And that's where we find, that's the intersection that we're at this morning. Whether you believe it or not, God has shown you mercy up to this morning, including this morning. He woke us up. We don't have the promise of tomorrow, but he woke us up today. So he has extended mercy to us all that time. And today, we're at that intersection, right there at the foot of the cross of Calvary, where also grace is extended to us in that today, you and I have the opportunity to be reconciled to God. You don't have the promise that you'll have that tomorrow. But today we're in that intersection. If you already believe that, we still have choices to make. We all got somebody we're holding something against. We got a grudge. We got a bad feeling. We got to come out of that curve of doubt and suspicion or hatred or anger and get in that straight stretch of compassion because we've already been at that intersection. But if you're here this morning and you've never believed that's true, whether you believe me or not, God has shown you grace and mercy your entire life. And he gave you this opportunity today, and you don't have the promise he'll give you that opportunity tomorrow. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was sent to earth to pay the price for your rebellion against God? The Bible says today is the favorable day of salvation. So may today be that day, and that is our prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we do thank you for grace and mercy. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the example that you give us in Scripture of Joseph. Uh, Lord, what a tough life we've seen up to this point. 
But God, you've worked in and through Joseph all this time and got him to the point to where he is able to help and to save people. And Lord, what a great picture that is for us of you, of your love and care for us, despite how we are, that you demonstrated your love for us by coming and dying on the cross for us. So Lord, today, may today be the day of salvation for those that have not believed. For those of us that do believe, Lord, may today be the day that we're on that straight stretch of compassion towards others, whether we believe they deserve it or not. Lord, help us. We thank you for what you have done, what you will do, and what you are doing in hearts right now this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church, if you would stand up. And that's our invitation. What are you going to do after you leave that crossroad at that intersection this morning? From wherever you've been, come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for my dear brother. So lay down your burden. seat i would ask our ushers to come forward uh so we can for the time of worship of giving of our tithes and offerings uh and i don't think i mentioned it but i think it was on the screen there we went ahead and canceled the church service for this evening uh we had so many folks this morning that uh, fell and all that stuff going on and our understanding is the weather's supposed to turn on us again later on this afternoon uh, and even if it doesn't it will be super slick this evening and we don't want to risk that again so uh, we're going to, we've canceled the church service for this evening. Be safe. The next few days are going to be even worse than today, so check on your neighbors. Make sure to leave your water running and check on your neighbors. Make sure that we pray and check for each other. And I'm going to ask Donnie, uh, Donnie, if you would, this is on. If you would pray over the offerings. Let's pray for you. Father, we thank you again for the word that we've heard, and we thank you for the examples uh, that we learned from your word. And, uh, for those that are hurting, for those that we prayed for earlier, we're reminded to continue to pray. And Father, the thing we'd ask simply right now that you might just bless this offering, that you might multiply it for your kingdom's purpose. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 